Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I am the main motherfucker in charge, Springheel Jack, and I'm here to bring you another glorious episode of scary stories and miscellaneous bullshit that I found while dicking around on the internet. Let me give you a brief disclaimer. The show is not safe for work, not safe for your kids. If you think that subject matters you wouldn't be comfortable showing your kids in an R-rated movie might offend somebody, amplify that by 10 or 12 and use your best judgment and turn it off if necessary. Also, I play advertisements in this show from companies that don't exist. They also don't sponsor me as I don't nail down sponsorship deals for very long. These advertisements are owned exclusively by Rockstar Games, and I am not using them for profit and or personal gain. With that being said, after one of those fake ads, we will proceed. The event movie of the year everyone is talking about. You're just a virus. You're not real. I'm your mother, stupid. A group of people that think the whole world is trapped in a computer. We can't get out. Hurry. Stick your hard disk inside my drive. I can't. My hard disk crashed. Reboot it. The mainframe. What happens when five college students take LSD and discover the truth? Ah! Your face is a big pixel. And they have to make the decision of their lives. What's it going to be? Yes or no? One or zero? The mainframe. It's real. The mainframe. Coming to theaters this Friday. Rated PS for Pretty Stupid. Alright, so I ramped up the story selection today. They should be a little bit better quality than those last couple of uh, humdingers that I was reading. I have not read these. However, these are the highest rated stories on Creepypasta, so hopefully I don't have anything to make fun of. Although I doubt it. This first one is called The Shattered Life. Terrifying tale by the title and by the rating. It was written by Matt Dimersky, and uh, it is from Creepypasta.com. I don't know when you're going to read this, but I can tell you when it started. I was out for a walk alone in the woods when the entity came for me. It was beyond a blur. It was, for lack of a better term, an absence of meaning. Where it hid, there were no trees. Where it crept closer, there was no grass. Through the arc, it leapt at me. There was no breeze of motion. There was no air at all. As it struck, I felt the distinct sensation of claws puncturing me somewhere unseen, somewhere I'd never felt before. My hands, arms, and legs torso seemed fine, and I wasn't bleeding, but I knew I'd been injured somehow. I fearfully ran back home, and I could tell that I was less. I was vaguely tired, and it was hard to focus at times. The solution at the early stage was easy, a big cup of coffee, and that helped me feel normal again. For a while, that subtle drain on my spirit became lost in the ebb and flow of caffeine in my system. You could say my life began that week. Actually, because that was when I met Mar. She and I got along great, though to be honest, I'm pretty sure I fell in love with her over the phone before we even met. <laughs> Thank you for calling Akbar and Sons Textile Mill. This is the customer service center. How can I help you? Modern speaking. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> it 
was almost as if the strong emotions of that first week made the entity fight back. It was still with me, latched on to some invisible part of my being. The first few incidents were minor, and I hardly worried about them. The color of a neighbor's car changed from dark blue to black one morning, and I stared at it before shaking my head and shrugging off the difference. Two days later at work, a co-worker's name changed from Fred to Dan. I carefully asked around, but everybody said his name had always been Dan. I figured I must have just been wrong. Then as ridiculous as this sounds, I was pissing in my bathroom sink at home when I suddenly found myself on a random street. I was still in my pajamas, pants down, dick out, but now in full view of a dozen people at a bus stop. Oof. Been there. Horrified, I pulled up my clothes and ran before somebody called the police. I did manage to get home, but the experience forced me to admit that I was still in danger. The entity was doing something to me, and I didn't understand how to fight back. Mar showed up that evening, but she had her own key. Hey, I asked her with confusion, how'd you get a key? She just laughed. You're cute. Are you sure you're okay with this? Are you sure you're okay with this? She opened a door and entered a room full of boxes. I know living together is a big step, especially when we've only been dating three months. Oh man, living together. I'd literally just met her the week before. The thing was, my mother had always called me a smart cookie for a reason. I knew when to shut my mouth. Well, there's something to be said for that. Instead of causing a scene, I told her everything was fine, and then I went straight to my room and began investigating. My things were just as I had left them with no sign of a three-month gap in habitation, but I did find something out of the ordinary, the date. I shivered angrily as I processed the truth. The entity had eaten three months of my life. What was I facing? What kind of creature could consume pieces of one's soul like that? I'd missed the most exciting part of a new relationship. What, the sex phase? And I would never understand any shared stories or in-jokes from that period. Something absurdly precious had been taken from me, and I was furious. Hmm. That fury helped suppress the entity. I never imbibed alcohol. I drank coffee religiously. I checked the date every time I woke up. For three years, I managed to live each day while observing nothing more than minor alterations. A social fact here and there, someone's job, how many kids they had, that sort of shit. The layout of nearby streets, the time my favorite television show aired, and that kind of thing. Always those changes reminded me that the creature still had its claws sunk into my soul. Not once in three years did I ever let myself zone out. One day, however, I grew careless. I let myself get really... Into the season finale of my favorite show, it was gripping a fantastic story. Right at the height of the action, a young boy came up to my lounger and shook my arm. Surprised, I asked, who the fuck are you? How the fuck did you get in here? He laughed and smiled brightly. Silly daddy. Oh no. My heart sank into my chest and I knew immediately what had happened. Did you? <laughs> After a few masked questions, I discovered that he was two years old and that he was my son. The agony and heartache filling my chest was nearly unbearable. Not only had I missed the birth of my child, I would never see or know the first years of his life. Mar and I had obviously gotten married and started a family in the time I'd lost. How were you working? And I had no idea what joys or pains those years contained. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It was snowing outside, holding my sudden son in my lap. Well, what if he thinks you're his daddy and he's just the neighbor's son? That's going to turn weird. I sat and watched the flakes fall outside. What kind of life was this going to be? If it slips in if slips in concentration could cost me years, I had to get help. So I went to the church. Oh, good thinking. 
They had no idea what to do. No? Ever heard that song, Bend Over, Make Your Knees Touch Your Elbows? Uh, just a funny song. It has nothing to do with priests or anything. The priests didn't believe me. They told me I had a health issue rather than some sort of a demonic possession. Well, that's the least responsible of them. The doctors didn't have any clue. Nothing showed up on all their scans and tests. But they happily took my money in exchange for asking me what I thought was wrong with me. Fuck, man. That's what doctors do. That's why practicing medicine is called what it is. Because they're practicing. They're figuring things out still. <laughs> By the time I ran out of options, I decided to tell Mar. There was no way to know what this all looked like from her side. Yeah, what the fuck is she doing? Smoking crack? Just letting you do whatever you want? Pissing on people on the sidewalk? What was I like when I wasn't there? Did I still take our son to school? Do you drive? Did I still do a job? Clearly I did because she seemed to be none the wiser. Maybe she's dumb. I'm just with you for three more years, motherfucker, till I get my permanent residence card. And then I am leaving you. I tell you. <laughs> Clearly I did because she seemed none the wiser, but I still had a horrible feeling that something must have been missing in her life when I wasn't actually home inside my own head. Oh, it's very nice, I tell you. I get some goddamn peace and quiet finally. But the night I set up a nice dinner in preparation, she arrived, not by unlocking the front door, but by knocking on it. I answered and found that she was in a nice dress. She was happily surprised by the settings of the table, a fancy dinner for a second date. I knew you were sweet on me. Thank the Lord, I knew when to keep my mouth shut. If I'd gone on about being married and having a son, she might have run for the hills. Instead, I took her coat and sat her down on our second date. Through carefully crafted questions, I managed to deduce the truth. This really was our second date. She saw relief and happiness in me, but interpreted that as dating jitters. I was just excited to realize that the entity wasn't necessarily eating whole portions of my life. The symptoms, as I was beginning to understand them, were more like consequences of a shattered soul. The creature had wounded me, broken me into little pieces. Perhaps I was to live my life out of order, but at least I'd get to live it. Oh, that's so fucking cruel. And so it went for a few years from my perspective. While minor changes in politics or geography would happen daily, major shifts in my mental location only happened every couple months. When I found myself in a new place or a new place in time, I just shut up and listened, making sure to get the lay of the land before doing anything to avoid making mistakes. On the farthest flung leap yet, I met my six-year-old grandson and asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. He said, Writer! I told him that was a fine idea. Then I was back in a month or two of my relationship with Mar, and I had the best night with her on the riverfront. When I say the best, I mean the best. Knowing how special she would become to me, I asked her to move in. I got to live through what I missed the first time around, and I came to understand that I was never mentally absent. I would always be there, eventually. When we were moving her boxes in, she stopped for a moment and said she marveled at my great love. As if I'd known her for a lifetime and never once doubted she was the one. Aw, it's kind of sweet. It's making me sick to my fucking stomach. That was the first time I'd truly laughed freely. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. <laughs> Since the entity had wounded me. She was right about my love for her, but for exactly the reason she'd considered a silly romantic analogy. I had known her my whole life, and I'd come to terms with my situation and found peace with it. It wasn't so bad to have to sneak peeks at all the best parts ahead. Huh. Interesting. But of course, I wouldn't be writing this if I had if it hadn't gotten worse. That's true. Everyone loves a sob story. 
The entity was still with me. It had not wounded me and departed like I wanted to believe. And the closest I can describe my growing understanding was that the creature was burrowing deeper into my psyche, fracturing it into smaller pieces. Instead of months between shifts, I began having only weeks. Once I noticed that trend, I feared my ultimate fate would be to jump between times in my life, heartbeat by heartbeat, forever confused, forever lost. Only an instant in each time meant I was able to... I, I would never be able to speak with anybody else, never be able to hold a conversation or express or receive love. As the true depth of that fear came upon me, I sat in an older vision of me and watched the snow falling outside. That was the one constant in my life. The weather didn't care who I was or what pains I had to face. Nature was there. Nature was always there. The falling snow was always like a little hook that kept me in place. The pure emotional peace it brought was... Uh, panacea on my mental wounds and I'd never yet shifted while watching the pattern of falling white and thinking of the times I'd gone sledding or built snow forts as a child a teenager touched my arm grandpa nah. he startled me out of my thoughts so I was less careful than usual who are you he half grinned as if not sure if I was joking handing me a stack of papers he said it's my first attempt at a novel would you read it and tell me what you think oh of course pursuing that dream of being a writer I see he turned red, trying to anyway. All right, wrote off, I'll read it now. The words were blurry and annoyed. I looked for glasses I probably had for reading. Being old was terrible, and I wanted to leap back into my younger years, but not before I read this book. I found my glasses in a sweater pocket and began leafing through it. Mar puttered in and out of the living room. She was still beautiful, but I had to focus. I didn't know how much time I would have here. I seemed... It seemed that we had relatives over. Was it Christmas? I didn't know. A pair of adults and a couple of kids I didn't recognize tromped through the hallway. And I saw my son, now an adult, walk by with his wife on the way out the door. As a group, the extended family began sledding outside. Aww. Finally, I finished reading the story and called out for my grandson. He rushed down the stairs and into the living room. How was it? Well, it's terrible, I told him truthfully. But it's terrible for all the right reasons. You're still a young man, so your characters behave like young people. But the structure of the story itself is very solid. I paused. I didn't expect it to turn out to be a horror story. He nodded. It's a reflection of the times. Expectations for the future are dismal, not hopeful like they used to be. You're far too young to be that aware, I told him. An idea occurred to me. If you're into horror, do you know anything about strange creatures? Sure. I read everything I can. I love it. Warily, I scanned the entrances to my living room. Everybody was busy outside, and for the first time, I opened up to somebody in my life about what I was experiencing. In hushed tones, I told him about my fragmented consciousness. For a teenager, he took it well. You're serious? Yes. He donned the determined look of a grown man accepting a quest. I'll look into it, see what I can find out. You should start writing down everything you experience, build some data, maybe we can map your psychic wound. All right, sounds like a plan. I was surprised... That made sense, and I hadn't expected him to have a serious response. But how will I get all the notes in one place? Tattoo them on your dick, honey. Let's come up with somewhere for you to leave them, he said, uh, furrowing his brow. Then I'll get them, and we can trace the path you're taking through your own life, see if there's a pattern. For the first time since the situation had gotten worse, I felt hope again. How about under the stairs? Nobody goes under there. Sure, he turned and left the living room. I peered after him. I heard him banging around near the stairs. Finally, he returned with a box, laid it on the carpet, and opened it to reveal a bursting stack of papers. He exclaimed, holy shit. But of course, being a teenager, he didn't really say shit. 
Taken aback, I blinked rapidly, forgiving his cussing because of the shock. Did I write these? He looked up at me in wonder. Yeah, or you will. You still have to write them and put them under the stairs after this. He gazed back down at the papers and covered the box, so you probably shouldn't see what they say. That could get weird. That much I understood. Yeah, you're right. He gulped. There's like 50 boxes down there all filled up like this. Deciphering these will take a very long time. His tone dropped to deadly uh, serious, but I will save you because I don't think anyone else can. Tears flowed down my cheeks then and I couldn't help but sob once or twice. I hadn't realized how lonely I'd become in my shifting prison of awareness until it finally had somebody who understood. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then I was young again. And on and at work at a random Tuesday. Once the sadness and relief faded, anger and determination replaced him. After I finished my work, I grabbed some paper and began scribbling. While the weeks shifted around me, while the weeks became days, then hours, I wrote every single spare moment about when and where I, I thought I was. I put them under the stairs out of order. My first box was actually the 13th, and the last box was the first. Once I had over 50 boxes written from my perspective, and once my shifting became a matter of minutes, I knew it was up to my grandson to take it from there. I put my head down and I stopped looking. I couldn't stand the river of changing awareness any longer. Names, places, dates, jobs, colors of people, they were all wrong and different. I'd never been older. I sat watching the snowfall. A man of at least 30 that I vaguely recognized entered the room. Come on, I think I finally figured it out. I was so frail that moving was painful. Are you him? Are you my grandson? Yes. He took me to a room filled with strange equipment and sat me in a rubber chair facing a large mirror twice the height of a man. The pattern finally revealed itself. How long have you worked on this? I asked him, aghast. Tell me you didn't miss your life like I'm missing mine. His expression was both stone cold and furiously resolute. It'll be worth it. He brought two thin metal rods close to my arm and then nodded at the mirror. Look. This shock is carefully calibrated. The electric zap from his device was startling, but not painful. In the mirror, I saw a rapid arcing light silhouette appear above my head and shoulders. The electricity moved through the creature like a wave, briefly revealing the terrible nature of what happened to me. A bulging, leech-like mouth was wrapped around the back of my head, coming down to my eyebrows and touching each ear, and its slug-like body ran over my shoulder and into my soul. It was a parasite and it was feeding on my mind. And now, my adult grandson held my hand as I looked on in horror. After a moment, he asked, removing it's going to hurt very bad. Are you sure you're up for this? Fearful, I asked, is Mar there? His face softened. No, not for a few years. I could tell from his reaction what happened, but I didn't want it to be true. How, I asked. We have this conversation a lot, he responded. Are you sure you want to have it now? It never makes you feel better. Tears brimmed in his eyes, but I don't care if it hurts or if I die. I don't want to stay in a time where she's not alive. He made a sympathetic noise and signaled that he understood and then returned to his machines to hook several wires, diodes, and other bits of technology to my limbs and forehead. While he did so, he talked. I've worked for two decades to figure this out. And I've had a ton of help from other researchers of the occult. This parasite doesn't technically exist in our plane. It's one of the lesser spawns of... It feeds on the plexus of mind, soul, and quantum, conscious reality. When 
details like names, colors of objects change, you weren't going crazy. The web of your existence was merely losing strands as the creature ate its way through you. I didn't fully understand. I looked up in confusion as he placed a circlet of electronics like a crown on my head in the exact line with where the parasite's mouth had ringed me. What's... He paused his work and grew pale. I forgot that you wouldn't know you're lucky. Believe me. Or I forgot that you wouldn't know. You're lucky. Believe me. After a deep breath, he began moving again and placed his fingers near a few switches. Ready? This is carefully tuned to make your nervous system extremely unappetizing to the parasite, but it's basically electroshock treatment. I could still see Mars smile, and even though she was dead, I had just been with her moments ago, and I said, Do it! The click of the switch echoed in my ears, and I almost laughed at how mild the electricity was. Didn't really feel like anything, at least at first. Then I saw the mirror shaking and my body within the image convulsing. Oh no, it did hurt. Nothing had ever been more painful. It was so excruciating that my mind hadn't been able to process it immediately. As my vision shook and fire burned in every nerve in my body, I could see the reflected, trembling, light silhouette of the parasite on my head as it writhed in agony equal to mine. It had claws, six clawed, lizard-like limbs under its leech-like body, and it cut into me in an attempt to stay latched on forever. The electricity made my memories flare. Mars' smile was foremost lit brightly in front of a warm fire as the snow fell past the window behind her. The edges of that memory began lighting up, and I realized that was my life. It was one continuous stretch of experience. It was only the awareness of it that it had been fragmented by the feasting evil on my back. I had never managed to be there for the birth of my son. I jumped around a dozen times, but never actually lived it. For the first time, I got to hold Mars' hand and be there for her. No, no, no. The moment shifted seamlessly into holding her hand as she lay in a hospital bed for a different reason. Oof. Not this. Why? It was so merciless to make me remember this, I broke down in tears as nurses rushed into the room. I didn't want to know. Didn't want to experience it. I'd seen all the good parts, but not the worst. The inevitable end that we would all one day face. It wasn't worth it. It was tainted. All that joy was given back ten thousand fold as pain. The fire in my body and my brain surged to sheer white torture and I screamed. My scream faded into a surprise shout as the machines and electricity and chair faded away. Snow was no longer falling around my life. I was out in the woods on a bright summer day. Oh God. I turned to see the creature approaching me. It was the same absence of meaning, the same blank on reality. It crept forward just like before. But this time it hissed and turned away. I stood astounded at being young again and freed from the parasite. My grandson had actually done it. He'd made me an unappetizing meal. So the predator of mind and soul had moved on in search of a different meal. I returned home in a daze. And while I was sitting there processing everything that had happened, the phone rang. I looked at it in awe and sadness. I knew who it was. It was Marjorie. Calling for the first time for some trivial reason she'd admit to 30 years later was made up just to talk to me but all i could see was her lying in that hospital bed dying is going to end in unspeakable pain and loneliness i would become an old man left to sit by myself in an empty house soulmate gone long before him At the end of it all the only thing i would have left would be sitting and watching the snow 
But now, thanks to my grandson, I would also have memories. It would be a wild ride, no matter how it ended. And on a sudden impulse, I picked up the phone, and with a smile, I said, Hey, who is this? Even though I already knew. Jacob, be thou resting! There, Eli. I've been bringing savages to God, by the book or the sword, whatever works best. To the Pilgrim's Pantry! They fled Britain because it was too liberal. Now, they've conquered the new world. But being this high and mighty works up a serious appetite. That's why when real Americans get hungry, they head to the Pilgrim's Pantry! Welcome to the Pilgrim's Pantry! Yes, wench! Bring me an ale or the Lord shall smite you! Every Thursday night is crucible night with witch burnings and drownings and all-you-can-eat rotisserie. The Pilgrim's Pantry is open every day, except for Sunday, when nobody should be having fun and we should all hate ourselves. It's the rules. Hurrah! To the Pilgrim's Pantry! Where good friends, good values and hunger are history. Joshua, what are you doing in here? Is that a nuclear bomb? Where did you learn how to make this? I found out how on the internet. Ha! <laughs> I'm finally going to show that bitch teacher Mrs. Henderson a thing or two about physics. The internet may appear like it's full of information, but most of it's the wrong kind of information. Like how to pick locks, steal calls from payphones, and suffocate classmates. Keep off the internet. This message brought to you by Citizens United Negating Technology for Life and People's Safety. God, I hate it when a story makes me feel something other than anger. That was a fucking good one. Jesus. Well, all right. Hopefully the next one's not such a goddamn bummer, but hopefully it's uh, as well written. <sighs> Jesus. Man, it's a doozy. Definitely a doozy. All right, this next one was written by Ashley Rose Wellman. Also from creepypasta.com. Also heinously high-rated. Highly rated. So, we'll see if it stacks up, but this one's actually rated higher than the last one. When I got the first one, I was literally seconds away from stepping onto a plane when a call from unknown blared from my cell phone. It was a ringtone I hadn't heard before, one I was pretty sure I hadn't com- that hadn't come with the phone. Normally, I wouldn't have stopped to answer it, but I was expecting a call about a job I'd interviewed for the previous week. I took a deep breath and accepted the call. Hello? Do not get on the plane. A woman's voice, garbled and strange, as if her vocal cords had been shredded, and she was trying desperately to choke out speech. Despite the unnerving, fractured quality of her voice, her tone was insistent and calm. Then the call ended. I froze. I'd always had a slight phobia of air travel, and something about this call just now? Ah, there was no way I was about to get on a seven-hour flight. Turned around, headed towards the food court. I'd just grab another flight in the afternoon, I figured. I watched from the airport Starbucks three hours later as every TV in the terminal lit up with the crash footage of the plane I should have been on. No survivors, not a single one. I tried to trace the call. So did the police. But there was nothing to trace. There was no evidence my phone received a call. They analyzed my records, incoming and outgoing communication on my phone. Jack shit. I wasn't making it up. I couldn't have been. But that wasn't the only call. Throughout the years, they're very few and far between, but always right. And I've always listened. Don't go on that blind date tonight. Five months later, my would-be date was convicted of killing four women, all with my hair color and build. Found them in a shallow grave about 250 feet 
from the diner he offered to take him to. Do not drive to that concert tonight. 18-wheeler lost control, plowed into a line of cars. Every single driver was crushed. Every driver was killed in a stretch of the freeway that I would have been on. No matter if I got a new phone, moved across the country, the calls would still come. I could almost feel the presence of whatever it was watching over me. I imagine being at the bottom of the freezing ocean, still strapped into a coach section plain seat. Or being in that mass grave across from the diner, watching an 18-wheeler skidding towards my car and not being able to do anything about it, knowing death was imminent. And I'd get the tightness in my chest. I'd think about how thin that line was, how close I'd gotten. If I hadn't had a job interview I'd been waiting to hear back from, I never would have listened to that first call, and that would have been it for me. It always felt like something was coming for me, but there was always this fractured, warped voice with these calls that never seemed to exist after I heard them. Self-destructing warning signals, rotting away before my eyes, and I was alive. I had a bad feeling about the cruise. I had planned it as a girls' week out with some of my old friends from college, and was looking forward to a week in the tropics in the dead-ass of winter. But part of me could almost sense that the call was coming. Maybe I'd watched Titanic one too many times, but there was a little nagging fear from the start. I hoped it would be fine, but I knew that if something big was going to happen, I'd get the call. I would know. Now, a week before, I'm about to set out on the cruise. After stepping into my apartment and returning from dinner with a friend, I noticed my cell phone has a message from unknown. They had never had to leave a message before. I haven't checked it all night. Damn it, I really wanted to go on that cruise, too. Oh, well. Not worth whatever horrific fate awaited for me in the cold, dark ocean. I clicked play message and feel my stomach drop as I listen to the whole sounding, to the listen to the voice sounding horrifically distorted, as if it emanates from a throat slashed to ribbons, crackling with more urgency than before. I looked around my apartment as the voice on the phone repeats the same phrase over and over and over again. Do not come home after dinner tonight. Do not come home after dinner tonight. Do not come home after dinner tonight. Oof. Ooh, that's creepy. Ugh, that gave me goosebumps. That was... Ugh. The store leading the fight against communism is having a blowout sale! Ammunition has a wide array of peacemakers. Come by Ammunition on Militia Mondays, exercise your Second Amendment rights, and get 10% off all armor-piercing bullets. We're the only gun store that lets you try it before you buy it. Need anti-tank missiles? We've got them. Flamethrowers? Oh, yeah. No credit? No problem. No money down? 90 days, same as cash. Shoot now, pay later. During the 10-minute waiting period, fire off a few rounds of the ammunition gun range, featuring faces of famous commie pinkos. Come by ammunition and register to win an anti-aircraft gun actually used when we whooped Australia's ass. This weekend is the Ammunition Film Festival with free screenings of the documentary Red Dawn. Ammunition, protecting your rights. All right, that last one has inspired me to bring back a section of this show that we haven't done in a while and that we did briefly if at best when we uh when we did it before but that is two sentence horror stories these are short scary stories that are guaranteed to freak you out according to said website number one number one my sister says that mommy killed her mommy says i don't have a sister <sighs> she asked why I was breathing so heavily. I wasn't. Oh, oh, man, that's a good one. 
You get home, tired after a long day's work, ready for a relaxing night alone. You reach for the light switch, but another hand is already there. What, just fucking hanging out? Can't turn the light switch on? I can't move, breathe, speak, or hear. And it's so dark all the time. If I knew I would be this lonely, I would have been cremated instead. That's more than two lines, fuckhead. The grinning face stared at me from the darkness beyond my bedroom window. I live on the 14th floor. Oh, the last man on earth sat alone in a room. There was a knock at the door. But you said he's the last man on earth and he lives alone. Well, it's kind of redundant to say that he lives alone if he's the last man on earth, isn't it? Okay, so maybe dogs learn how to knock. Debunked, bitch. There was a picture in my phone of me sleeping. Oh, God, I live alone. Oh, that's scary. And we've heard that before, but that's scary. I kiss my wife and daughter goodnight before I go to sleep. When I wake up, I'm in a padded room, and the nurses tell me it was all a dream. What? What? I always thought my cat had a staring problem. She always seemed fixated on my face until one day when I realized she was always looking just behind me. Uh, okay, animals do creepy shit. My dog does that. They delivered the mannequins in bubble wrap. From the main room, I began to hear popping. Well, who moved him in? You couldn't tell that it was a person when you carried it in, you fucking retard. I woke up to hear knocking on glass. At first I thought it was the window, until I heard it come from my mirror again. Fuck you, mirror shit. Mm -mm. Nope, not playing with that. My daughter won't stop crying and screaming in the middle of the night. I visit her grave and beg her to stop, but it doesn't help. <laughs> no, she's too busy voting for Joe Biden. Day 312. Internet's still not working. What? What? I don't understand. I don't fucking get it. Day 312. Internet's still not working. Is that supposed to be scary? I'm, am I stupid? Are you stupid? It's stupid, Holmes. I think I might be stupid. Day 312. Well, sophisticated wit, because that's fucking way over my head. Goddamn so clever, I couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. Alright, let's get a couple more. See what I can scrounge up. Okay, I'm going to end it on this note, because this scares me. And that's a good note to end it on. I looked into the mirror. And then I saw my reflection blink. Ugh. God. But thank you all for tuning back in. This has been another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. As always, I'm your narrator and host and sole proprietor, spring Jack. And thank you all very much for continuing to rate this store five stars in the iTunes store, for telling your family and friends, and for keeping morale up in my hiatus of the last few months. It's greatly appreciated, and it means a lot to see you guys have hung on as far as listener bases go. I greatly appreciate it. I know times are tough, so I'm not really going to harp on the whole Patreon shit, but in the event that you feel compelled to donate something, I am in desperate need of a new computer. So uh, 
you can make a contribution if you so desire. No obligation on Patreon.com, and you can find the podcast by searching Anthology of Horror, or you can find the Patreon by going to anthologyofhorror.com. I had forgotten that I had a .com website during my brief foray with that shit show of a fucking podcast host, Anchor, because uh, they want everything with their name attached to it, so I had gotten used to the idea that it was anthologyofhorror.anchor.whatever, and uh, I had forgotten about the .com, and I searched for it yesterday to send a link for my buddy, and I saw that, and I got very excited. And this is what I sound like when I'm very excited. Kind of the same way I sound when I'm mad. When I'm happy. <laughs> but I digress. And if you'd like to send me a personal message, I'm pretty shitty at reading correspondence. Uh, but I will eventually read them, and I promise I'll get back to you. Not in a timely fashion, but I will eventually get back to you. It's nothing personal. I just work graveyard shift, and I fall asleep everywhere trying to do things. So, yeah. But you can do that by going to Instagram.com and typing in Duke. Landis 17. Uh, it should be the first result, unless I've been passed up by some young stallion, but I don't think so. And uh, go ahead and send me a message, just a DM or whatever, and I'll fucking get back to you as soon as I can. As soon as I sit down and read all the messages. I do it every couple of months. I go through, I read them, I respond, have a conversation for a while, and I go to work and I forget about it for another six months. But I will get back to you eventually. And that is Duke, as in Duke Wayne. Landis, as in Landis, L-A-N-D-I-S, and 17, as in the number after 16. Well, thank you guys for being one of the most consistent audio uh, audience bases that uh, I've ever seen in an amateurish podcast. I'm going to give the city-specific shout-outs, and then you guys can be on your merry way. But just know that I appreciate all of you quite a bit. You guys, uh, stroke my ego. And it makes me feel nice. So, without any further ado. God damn, you guys amaze me. These numbers are great. And that's all because of you guys. Thank you. Okay, so. Top 10 countries from last episode. US, UK, Canada, Australia, Jamaica, Saudi Arabia, Germany, Denmark, Iran. That's a new one. And Mexico. Thank you, guys. Top 10 cities. Centennial, Colorado. Atlanta, Georgia. Dallas, Texas. San Jose, California. West Lake, Stevens, Washington. Manhattan, New York. Houston, Texas. Chicago, Illinois. Columbus, Ohio. And San Antonio, Texas. Thank you all very much. I appreciate each and every one of you. And until next time, stay spooky, motherfucker. <laughs>